Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Can Starbucks flourish in the country that gave birth to espresso? Yahoo Finance's Julia LaRoche is fresh back from Milan, where she got a tour of the first Starbucks in Italy and also interviewed Starbucks's former CEO and current chairman emeritus, Howard Schultz. Julia, it's great to have you on the podcast. Alexis, it's so great to be back in New York. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I think a little more time in Milan might have been nice, no? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would totally <laughs> go back for a vacation for sure, but I mean... There's nothing like there's home. There's nothing like home for sure. All right, we're going to play the uh, the entire interview with Schultz in just a few minutes for, for those listening, but I, I wanted to speak with you first because, look, it may be called Starbucks, but it certainly didn't resemble any of the Starbuckses I've ever been to. So since this is a podcast and people can't see the store, uh, describe this for us because I, I guess I would call it sort of a theme park of coffee. Or a Willy Wonka experience, as that Howard too. Schultz would put it. Okay, so let's back up real quick. Um, Howard Schultz traveled to Milan in 1983 where he experienced the Italian espresso bar for the first time and it was that experience where he realized that he had seen the light and that Starbucks future uh, was not just selling whole bean coffee as they there just four stores at the time mm-hmm. selling whole bean coffee um, so that's where the inspiration came from for the Starbucks that we know today now until last week they had never entered the Italian market the place that inspired them so this is Howard Schultz's dream 35 years in the making opening this beautiful roastery and the way I actually described it to Howard um, after seeing it for the first time I called it the Sistine Chapel of Starbucks <laughs> I like I'm that. telling you Alexis it is unlike anything you've ever seen from yeah. a Starbucks store this is their higher end um, focus these roasteries and reserve stores that you're seeing pop up there's a roastery in Seattle there is a roastery in Shanghai there's now one in Milan, and there's one coming to New York soon. So oh, We're very excited you about a, that. Very excited. A description of what it was like on the inside. It is... Well, first of all, it's, it's massive. How many square feet? It's almost 30,000 square feet. Gosh. Much bigger than your corner store. But I'd, I'd say. it is a tribute to Italy, to Milan, to the espresso coffee culture there. Everything in that store is curated from Italy, from the beautiful tile floor that's handcrafted some of the tiles came from the same quarry as the Duomo. Oh, my um, goodness. I mean, it is a work of art. There's this marble espresso bar. So if you go on the espresso bars in Milan, there's more than 1,500. They usually have a marble <laughs> countertop. Right. So it's really it's a tribute to that whole coffee espresso lifestyle in Milan. And, I mean, it's there's an upper, um, I guess like an upper store. I don't know what you would call it. It's like, like a, a split layer, level store. A split level store, and there's a bar in Starbucks, and it's called Meaning, Riviano. Not a, com- not a coffee alcohol. bar. Oh, well, yeah, they have a little coffee and alcoholic <laughs> drinks. I had um, I had a bourbon drink that was poured through coffee grounds. It's hard to describe, but I don't really like bourbon, but I enjoyed it. It was smooth. Wow. Um, they have your Aperol spritz. They have handcrafted cocktails. Uh, so one of the traditions in Italy is aperitivo, so you enjoy mm-hmm. your cocktails and your snacks or appetizers with your friends. So, I mean, it's, I don't even know how to describe it, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, it is an experience that not only will the locals enjoy, but anyone who's traveling to Milan would It'll be a de- experience It's quickly it. become a destination spot now, I'm I, sure, for, in Milan for tourists as well. I am curious, though, I mean, you said 1,500 espresso bars in Milan, which is hard hard to believe. Um, you know, how, how were the locals... Uh, 
accepting this new Starbucks? Were they embracing of this sort of Amer- this American import? I mean, let's face it. Were they unfazed? Were they lining up to get some coffee? Oh, my goodness. Everybody was talking about it. It was on all of the local media from the local newspapers. The concierge in my hotel was talking about it. Like, <laughs> did you know this? was? Ha-? Yes, that's why I'm here. But um, <laughs> at the line to get into Starbucks the day of was I mean, there are hundreds of people in line, and I went back on Saturday evening because I wanted to make a few purchases for Mm -hmm. folks back here in New York, and the line uh, close to 9 p.m. was around the block, and I was there almost until closing time, and it was still just There are night owls there in Italy, though, so that doesn't really surprise me. I think I was checking Instagram, (laughs) and I was looking at their um, Instagram Live, the Uh Starbucks um, Milan Roasteries Instagram Live, and I mean on their stories on Instagram was just constant. It was like the line update. And Gosh. All the, the Did you, um, I'm curious if you spoke to any local shops, um, local shopkeepers who just see this as, you know, sort of the Amazon of the coffee world for them, and they are not liking the fact that Starbucks is there. Um, I didn't hear that from, I actually went and I drank a lot of Dopio espresso macchiatos <laughs> while I was there. So I was bouncing around to different espresso bars. I didn't hear any of that. Um, I, I understand that there has been some, you know, pushback in terms of maybe some of the pricing um, because the prices are a little bit higher. But when you think about how Starbucks is priced, what does Starbucks offer their partners? That's what they call their employees. It's the health care benefits for both full-time and part-time. It's the college tuition. Um, it's the equity in the form of stock options. So when you're paying that price, I think the, the phrase is that infamous $4 latte, you're not just paying for you know, fair wages for a farmer to get fair trade coffee, but you're also paying for a lot of benefits Mm -hmm. for folks that these are things that especially millennials really care about um, in terms of supporting. So So, uh, the interview was was really great with with Howard Schultz. We want folks to be able to hear that now. And I I know you also spoke to him about whether or not he has political aspirations and might we be hearing, you know, President Schultz sometime down the road. Don't give it away. I want the folks to hear it. Uh, so, so sit back, relax, and listen to Julia LaRoche's interview with uh, Starbucks's Howard Schultz. Julia, thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right, Howard, we're here in the Milan Roastery. This is your dream, 35 years in the making. It's absolutely stunning. And this also falls on a very special anniversary for you when you started at Starbucks as an employee. So you're coming full circle. Tell us, what does this moment mean to you? It's so hard to describe in words. There's so much emotion. Uh, yesterday when we had the, the partner meeting and they started singing that song in Italian, uh, I literally started crying. I mean, this is such an extraordinary moment for the company and for me. I've dreamed about opening in Italy for so many years and to be able to open the roastery and the response we've gotten over the last week from the Italians who have seen it, I think uh, just speaks volumes to the fact that we've tried to be very humble, respectful of the Italian heritage and at the same time really, I think, do everything we've learned over many, many years and bring it to life in ways that the Italians have never seen before. So based on the Shanghai Roastery, which has been so successful, and the Seattle Roastery, I think we've lapped it, (laughs) and now we have Princhy Food in here. It's going to be an amazing opening on Friday morning. Now, you did mention during the partner meeting that you have been met with some cynicism. Starbucks is a really well-known American brand, and and some might see you 
coming here to serve coffee in what some might refer to as the mecca of coffee. There are espresso bars everywhere. So what sort of cynicism have you heard and how do you respond to some of the sure. naysayers out there? Well, I think there's been two schools of thought. Uh, you're right. Some people have said perhaps Starbucks should not come to Milan. There's 1,500 coffee bars alone in this city. On the other hand, people have encouraged us because the expression of what we do with coffee, there's five different methods of how the customer can get their coffee, the quality, the integrity of this place. And I think we have something to offer uh, that is not Italian, that is complimentary. Also the space, this is almost 30,000 square feet. It's, I think the Italians are expecting us to open up a coffee store. Uh, most Italians have never seen coffee roasted despite how much they love coffee. And so there's going to be education, there's going to be theater, there's going to be romance. There's a level of sensuality in here that speaks to the Italian culture. Uh, and I think the Italians are going to vote very positively and say, yes, I want to be in this space. The, the excitement in Milan for this opening, I can honestly say, I've been to many Starbucks openings. There's never been anything quite like this in terms of the anticipation among the Melanese people. You know, I've been to a lot of Starbucks in my life, and this is not like any of the stores I've ever been to. So what does this say about the future of the company? Well, I think it says that we recognize that we have to keep innovating, that we can't embrace the status quo. Uh, I think this investment represents the premiumization of Starbucks. Uh, it also, I think, represents the entrepreneurial DNA of the company. Uh, I can tell you, I've spent five years on this project. My, my hands are over... I've touched every piece of this, from drawing to a mock-up. Uh, I've, I've been involved and engaged in this as a labor of love. And um, I think this is the future of the company. Well, let's talk about that entrepreneurial spirit. You were 30 years old when you came to Milan and experienced the romance and the theater of the Italian espresso bars. And then you've built this global enterprise, more than 28,000 stores, more than 350,000 employees worldwide. Now, if you were that 30-year-old today, and that trip were now, do you still think you would be able to execute in this environment? You know, that's a very interesting question. I, I think the access to capital today, uh, how quickly information moves, I think it, we would have been very challenged. Uh, at this time, in terms of how business is conducted, to build a global business off of an, a single idea, I think we would, have, we would have had to create multiple partnerships very quickly. I don't know if we would have been able to do it in a company-wide fashion, which has defined the culture of the company. But on the flip side, I think uh, America is still a great place for entrepreneurs to build great, enduring businesses and that is the American spirit. So I think in many ways it would have been possible, perhaps a little bit different. Uh, but when I think about what we have accomplished, uh, who could have imagined that a, uh, me walking around as a 30-year-old kid, basically, through the streets of Milan, capturing what was the community of coffee, and that one day I'd be able to be sitting here with you coming back to Milan. So I'm, I'm gratified, I'm humbled by it, and, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've lived the American dream. I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed to have been part of this story. And you know, I gave that speech at the university yesterday. I think it was very important to say that business is a team sport. 
and we've had a great team of people around me now for all these years, and we're still together. And uh, all of us last night, just thinking about how far we've come, and my family was there, and my kids are there, and it's uh, it's quite uh, quite emotional. Yeah. Well, speaking of team sport, you did tell the students that really important who you pick to be your partner in life and you know Sherry your wife has played a really important role yes. talk to about talk to us about how she's led to the success of the company and, and your your own success well uh, I made a joke yesterday I said make sure you pick the, the right partner in life but it's not a joke uh, and I, I know you just got engaged so congratulations Thank you. Uh, you know she's been uh, with me the entire ride uh, there's been moments where I had self-doubt and we couldn't find the money and there were moments where perhaps it wasn't going to work and she was the glue and uh, without her uh, as my kids gave a toast last night uh, we would not be here so not only has it been a team sport with the members of the leadership team of Starbucks but also uh, Sherry has played a huge role uh, in enabling me as my partner in life to dream this and be able to execute it. And uh, I think over the last year or so, I think she thinks I've had a love affair with this roastery because <laughs> the number of hours that we have spent in this building, uh, you, you, would, you can't imagine how much time we've invested in getting this perfectly right. Well, there's no denying that Starbucks has really taught people how to drink coffee. But, you know, in recent years, others have entered the space. And more recently, I can think of Coca-Cola just doing a big deal to acquire Costa Coffee for $5.1 So how do you think about competition going forward? Well, the, you know, the Coke deal surprised me in the sense that I, I don't know how they have no operating experience with retail. So it would be interesting to see what they do. Uh, but they're in a business where uh, not many people are continuing to drink uh, uh, soda water and Coke, and they've got to find growth, so I understand it. Uh, but our partnership with Nestle provides us two very important strategic opportunities. Global distribution with the best distribution system in the world of Starbucks consumer products. And then we will be the first brand sitting on the most ubiquitous coffee system in the world, and that is Nespresso. So Starbucks capsules will be part of Nespresso. Those two elements plus the growth of Starbucks retail stores and the roasteries and our growth in China where we have 3,500 stores opening a store a day puts us in a leadership position. But let me say something. I've got great respect for Coke. I'm sure they have big strategic plans. We've always respected competition. I think it makes us better. Uh, our leadership position is not an entitlement. We have to earn it. But this roastery, I think, demonstrates our commitment to innovation and the fact that we're not sitting still, mm -hmm. that we're going to do everything we can to continue to, to define the category. And uh, we've never been followers. We've always had courage. And there's no better manifestation than all of that than what this is and what this represents. Now, I do want to get a, your take on the economy. Now, when you returned yeah. to the helm as CEO in 2008, that also coincided with the global financial crisis. Yeah. Ten years later, the economy is strong. Yeah. The stock markets continue to reach new highs. But given that experience of you know returning to Starbucks during the crisis, what lessons did you learn and, and what red flags do you now see on the horizon? Well, one thing I want to say is, uh, the, the economy is strong for many people, 
but there's millions of Americans that are not participating in the economic growth. So just some facts that we should establish. Uh, over 40% of American households do not have $400 for a crisis. Almost 6 million young people in America, uh, ages from 16 to 24, are not in school and not working. Uh, so uh, the economy, if you use the stock market as a proxy, is wonderful. But millions of Americans are not participating and being left behind. Uh, so I, I think it's really important to demonstrate that uh, there's much work to do to take care of the, and address the inequities that exist in the U.S. Uh, whether or not the stock market continues to perform at this level, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think there's other issues about leadership and integrity and values and decency and the divisiveness that we now have. Uh, I think the, the issues of trade and the tariffs, uh, ultimately the, uh, the burden is going to fall on the consumer and that could be a consumer tax on products and services. So I, I would much rather see an opportunity for a much more uh, predictable situation than the episodic things that we seem to be dealing with in the U.S. Now, you stepped down as chairman back in June. Yeah. A lot of folks have questions. I know our audience have, has a bunch of questions for you. Now, at the time you wrote that you would be exploring a range of options from philanthropy to public service. Now, Howard, the summer is over. Yeah. What's your plan? Well, I've been writing. I, I did say that, and that is exactly what I've been doing. So I, I took my first family vacation in almost 40 years. Uh, I'm just finishing writing an important book about lessons learned uh, and my thoughts about the country um, and some of the things I've talked about in terms of humanity. Um, and I'm, I'm still thinking about and, and pursuing what I can do as a citizen to improve the lives of others, both in the U.S. and around the world. I think it's important to say I do not have to run for president uh, to improve the lives of others. And so I'm looking at a range of options, and we'll just see what happens. It's, it's still very early in this process for me. It is early, but I have to ask you this without asking you if you're running. Yeah. How, how does it feel when people do ask you if you're running, and how does it feel when people tell you that you should run for office in 2020? Well, it's very humbling. Uh, I, I think when, when I think about that question and the environment we're in today, uh, regardless of who uh, ultimately, as the president in 2020, I think it's critically important in view of the very fragile nature of the world we're living in uh, and America's position in the world and America's role in the world uh, and America's standing in the world that the right person, the right person is the next president of the United States. You just mentioned America's standing in the world. You've traveled all over the world in your role at yeah. Starbucks. How has America's standing changed, and what do you think the perception is of America? I think, uh, you know, in my speech yesterday, I, I talked about uh, the most important asset of building any company is the culture and the values and guiding principles, and the currency of that is trust. And uh, I think that is applicable uh, to a country the culture of the country and the trust that people are going to have in us as a nation. And I think we are in an environment right now where uh, 
unfortunately, many of our allies and many of our relationships are being questioned. And we have to do everything we can to restore and reaffirm our position in the world. So it's a, it's a very important time in the world uh, because of how fragile it is and certainly an important time for, for America uh, to uh, demonstrate the importance of American values, not only here at home, but also around the world. And I think the world is relying and always relied on those values. Well, you know, speaking of some of those relationships, one that's in the news right now, the U.S. and China, the yeah. trade tensions there. Trump is expected to announce more tariffs. And you know, Starbucks is an American brand operating, you're opening a store about every 15 hours in China. So yeah. how would something like that impact your ability to do business in mainland China? Well, we have 3,500 stores in China. We do open a store every day. The Roastery is the most successful store in the world. Uh, I probably have traveled to China as much or more so than any other CEO over the last decade. And uh, I really tried to understand the Chinese economy and the Chinese consumer and how the government operates. Um, thus far, the tariffs that have existed and the trade war uh, that's currently going on between the U.S. and China has not really affected Starbucks. But what I would say about this is um, it's in the interest of both America and China to find common ground. And there are many things that are in our mutual interests. In addition to that, it's in the interest of the world for China and the U.S. to find things that we can do together to enhance the rest of the world. Uh, but when I look at what China is attempting to do with One Belt Road, which basically is, in my own language, think of it as a super infrastructure highway that's going to bind 60, 70 countries together to produce an economic powerhouse in terms of trade. Now, they're going to invest trillions of dollars over a long period of time to do that. We have to understand that if we want to maintain as a country our economic leadership around the world, then we have to be open, we can't, be, we can't isolate ourselves from the rest of the world, and we, we have to be uh, in many ways as committed to the long-term investment and strategic thinking as what the Chinese are doing with One Belt Road. So the bottom line is uh, China to me is not an adversary, they are a competitor. And uh, we have to do everything we can to compete with them and also to find ways to cooperate with them when it's in our national interest. Well, there's something else I want to get your perspective on. Do you think Trump's presidency has shown the advantage of going with an experienced politician over a business person for the next president? In other words, someone who can yeah. legislate? Uh, I, I think uh, that, that question remains to be seen. Uh, I, I understand the question, uh, but I think uh, this situation uh, is not just about him being a business person or a politician. Uh, it's a different style of leadership. Well, speaking of leadership, do you think the role of a CEO has changed in this day and age, and, and how so? I do think it's changed tremendously, and, and you know, I think in many ways I was at the forefront of that, recognizing that the rules of engagement for a company and a public CEO 
uh, really has changed, and that is we can't rely on government to do everything, especially when America is sitting with $21 trillion in, in debt uh, and spending almost $400 billion in interest a year. Uh, there's not a lot of resources the government has right now, and a, uh, a recklessness on, 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 on the part of both parties in terms of fiscal discipline. So companies must do more to take care of their people and, and do everything they can to serve their communities. I also think CEOs have responsibility to their own employees to demonstrate their belief and concern about things that are going on and should not be afraid uh, to speak up. And I think this is a moment in time where uh, companies are going to be defined not only by the bottom line, uh, but also their principles, their values. And I think employees expect the leadership of the company to stand up for principle. And I think it's very important. Leadership is not defined as a public CEO just by the price of your stock, but what you stand for and what you believe in. And one final question for you, Howard. Yeah. Looking around at this beautiful roastery, it is such a tribute to Milan. It's a tribute to the Italian culture. Now, and we know that you're opening roasteries in the United States. We have one in New York coming, one in Chicago. But if you could design a roastery specifically for America and, and to represent America, what would you include in it? What would be those characteristics? Well, um, it's interesting because this roastery, I think, is very emblematic of the elegance and the style of Italian design. Um, if I just dream about what it would look like designing one for America, I would do everything I could to embrace the idealism of liberty, of freedom, uh, and really the, the spirit of America. And that is openness uh, and doing everything we can to, to I think, reaffirm uh, the values of the country. Um, I've had, I've traveled the country extensively over the last few months, and I've met extraordinary people uh, who are doing heroic things in their communities, and I would want to celebrate that spirit. Howard Schultz, Chairman Emeritus of Starbucks, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast, and remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.